Okay, here we go. And welcome to the second part of my conversation with Dr. Lee Bacham of SaveTheMarriage.com. We talked in the first part about how it is so important to begin to connect and to build some emotional intimacy, particularly when there's been some distance. Now we want to shift the conversation to the whole idea of what happens when you really realize and how do you realize that maybe this marriage is not the best for us. What do you think are the big signs that we have to notice? Well, I, I often say to people, you know, if you're thinking about working to save your marriage, the, the first thing are the no-goes, that this is not the one you want to save, and that is uh, abusive relationships. Physical abuse is pretty clear. Emotional abuse gets to be a little uh, more tricky. I have people say, you know, is this emotional abuse? And a lot of times they'll tell me what's going on, and it's more about the fact that they have lost track of their own boundaries. You know, they've only, they, yeah. they haven't been able to say, that's not okay. And so the other person um, is pushing harder than they even realize. Then there are the ones when I say, you know what, that's just emotionally manipulative, emotionally abusive. That's another no-go. But that, that's a much more of a gray area in my mind. Physical abuse automatically for me is, is a stopping point. Oh, I so agree with you because physical abuse is absolutely a no. There is no reason on earth why your spouse should put his or her hands on you in any way intended to hurt you. Mm -hmm. And it's as simple as that. It's a big no-go. But what if they're not actually putting their hands on you? Let's talk about the more gray area of emotional and verbal abuse. What do you have to say are the markers for when you need to think this isn't going to work? Uh, When you've tried to do the boundaries and that doesn't work. Um, You know, when you have been very conscientious, because part of what happens in this dance of relationships is that we teach people how to treat us and allow them to treat us, that that all happens at the same time. And, and so part of the question is, is somebody reacting in a way that they have um, kind of been, been taught and allowed? And so the question begins to be, if you set the boundaries, can the person make a shift? Uh, and that sometimes is not, you know, it's a lot of people want to set their boundary one time. They get called a name. They try their boundary approach. They get called a name again and they go, well, that didn't work rather than recognizing that habits take a little bit of yeah. time to change. <laughs> uh, and so uh, my feeling is the first thing is to learn how to set boundaries, to work on setting boundaries for a bit and seeing if there's a possibility for the person to kind of relearn um, the rules of engagement. Um, Yeah, I think just to want to jump in there because setting boundaries is not something everybody knows how to do. Most people don't. You know, if you've come from a family where boundaries were not set and you don't know what healthy boundaries are, maybe we should just talk about that for a moment. So a person knows how to set a healthy boundary. What would you say about that? Yeah, so for me, a boundary is a no. I don't want to be treated that way. You may not treat me that way. And so it's always a no about how somebody is treating you, not how they are in the world. A lot of times people want to use boundaries. I was doing a conference on boundaries and this woman came up and I could tell I was in trouble. It was the second week and she was marching straight at me and I went, oh, here we come. And she stepped up and she said, your boundary thing didn't work. And I said, well, what didn't work? And she said, I did that boundary thing to my husband. And it didn't change him. And I said, that's not the goal of a boundary. 
The goal of a boundary is so that you're not treated in a way that you don't want to be treated. How they are in the rest of the world, you can't control that. Boundaries aren't about control. No, that's, that's for you to observe what they do when that happens. When you set a boundary, then you observe what the other person does. Yeah. Yeah. So we talked, uh, and so one of the things I always do is that the step process, the first thing is you let the person know they're doing that. And sometimes they don't know. Um, You know, you say, hey, do you realize that you're calling me names? They may not have any idea. Do you realize that you're raising your voice at me? They may not have registered that. Um, I know that a lot of people bring those habits from childhood right with them and they get away with it and it works. And so they keep doing it. And so the first thing is to let them know. And a lot of times just doing that, the person says, you know what? You're right. I don't need to do that. And they abide by it. Sometimes you have to go to that next step where they say, I do realize that and I mean to. And the, the next one is to make a request. Please do not you know, call me names, raise your voice. I always say raise your voice rather than yell. Because if you say, please don't yell at me, there's a debate that's going to happen about the definition of yelling. <laughs> when am I yelling? I'm not yelling you know, as, as the voice goes up. And so you may not raise your voice at me. Please do not raise your voice is the you know, that middle phase. The third phase is you may not raise your voice at me. You may not call me names. Then there's got to be a consequence. And the consequence doesn't have to be, or I'll divorce you, or I'm going to move out. It could be, if you're, if you continue to speak with me with a raised voice, I'm going to leave the house for a couple of hours while you cool down. Right. And so that's, those four steps are, uh, you can walk through them if you know that you can do that fourth piece, which is the consequence. Yeah. And it's very important to have those consequences because we, we, we want to have latitude in the consequences. And what I mean by that, not that they're not immovable, but that you have, you have some versatility in setting those consequences. Like you said, it's not my way or the highway. It's not do that or don't do that. And I will leave or stay. It's I may have to leave the room or I will not respond to you until you change the tone of voice. And, and I'm just going to fix that right now. It's often not the tone of voice. Because so many times I find that the couples that I work with, and I'm sure you find that too, is that they get all wrapped up in the delivery and they're no longer hearing the messages. Mm -hmm. So one of the ways they made a defense to keep themselves out of solving any problems is to say, well, I don't like the way you talk to me. And then they won't have a conversation about the actual issue or the message. They just want to stay on that. But as a good example of how to set a boundary, I think you did a great job. So those four things are really important. But how about dealing with people who are psychologically predisposed to creating drama and chaos and making life difficult? What do you say about figuring out whether you're with one of those? Yeah. Well, one is whether it's um, uh, universal for them. Yeah, if you watch them with their friends, are, are they doing that? We, we watch them with their family. Are they doing that? If they are that way consistently, that moves it out of the relational realm and it becomes uh, a, a personality piece for them. That doesn't mean they can't you know, figure that out if they really wanted to. One of the things that I've, I've recognized that more recently is the more psychologized our culture has become, the more people love to label their spouse with some diagnosis. Oh, yes. And that's not always an accurate diagnosis. No. You know, they, they will often tell me how they're married to a psychopath or a narcissist or a borderline, and sometimes they are. Yeah. 
But many times it's because they've become so conflicted in the relationship that uh, they have decided that the spouse is the issue. And so part of what we're looking for is if it really is that piece of the personality, it's going to be everywhere. Uh, it's not just in the relationship. If it's a conflicted relationship, but they have friends that they have stable relationships and you don't see that somewhere else, then you can begin to, to ask the question, is this more about the dance that we have with each other? If, however, they do that consistently across the board, there's a, at least a higher likelihood that that diagnosis may be uh, more factual. You know, I'm going to take issue with that one for this reason. Okay. <laughs> um, many, t- you know, my work is is helping the partners and the exes and adult children of these relentlessly difficult people stop the crazy making in their life. And here's one of the things that happens that's counterintuitive to what you just said, because what you just said makes ultimate sense. But if you look at hijackos behaving with other people, they will have great relationships with them and all of the abuse will be at home. And it's so crazy making because then you go to someone else and you try to explain to them that this is happening to me at home. And they say, oh, no, that person is the salt of the earth. So they can be behaving in different ways with you than they are in the community or with their families. And that that's one of the things that I think we really have to watch out for, Lee, because it if we look at them and they're behaving wonderfully with everyone else, we will then, of course, and it's a good idea to be self-reflective and say, am I doing something that other people are not? But if if the answer to that is no, I don't think so, then we, ha- we have to recognize that hijackals are going to make everything our fault and they're out to have power and control in the relationship. And when they're doing that, they're likely not doing that to other people. They've got that saved just for you. I'll leave that in your expertise. Um, (laughs) I I have generally found that if they start looking around, there are other relationships that have been the same as theirs and their circle that it's, um, it may not be universal, but it certainly isn't isolated to one. That's, That's my experience though. Well, I, I would agree with that. Certainly like I tell my clients, if that's happening and it's, and Look at look at their relationship with their parents mm-hmm. and look there first mm-hmm. to see if how that relationship is playing out because that's the one that's most likely going to be the one that's similar to yours mm-hmm. if you're having a great deal of difficulty. But just remember <laughs> that if you are with one of these people, and I absolutely agree with you, all these people going to the Google goddess and deciding that their partner is a narcissist or a psychopath or whatever, don't do that. Don't do that. It's not helpful because then you make it all the other person's fault. Mm. Like that person has a label, that person has a problem. And there you are in relationship with them and it's not going to go anywhere good. yeah. Yeah. So important to recognize. So, In power situations, like the ones that we're discussing, where things are going sideways, can improved communication really help? Well, I'm not big on the communication theory. Uh, I've uh, sat with lots of people who said they need to learn to communicate better. And my observation is I understood every word they said. It was (laughs) not an issue in communication. Perception was an issue between them. And uh, so part of uh, where I focus my energy is less about teaching communication skills and more about looking at how the couples are perceiving each other um, and how we change that um, for ourselves and how we begin to to work towards uh, having the perceptions around the relationship changed. 
I really wanted you to say that because I agree with, <laughs> I agree with you so wholeheartedly, but you know, I've read what you've written and I think you say it so well because we have this idea that communication skills will be the panacea for everything. So then we just fight better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so we're more intelligent fighters. Well, that's mm-hmm. not really going to help us get to the goal that we have in mind, which is to, to be loved and respected, to be in a relationship that's honest and safe and, and uh, caring. These are really important things. So, Lee, I am so glad that you were able to come on the show today. Tell Thank us quickly about your new book. Well, there's a, a new book and then there's a new book about to come out. So the, the book that is now out, that came back out in March is Thrive Principles. Thrive Principles have, has 15 strategies for how you build a thriving life, um, no matter what's happening in your life. So um, it, this is not a uh, life has no bumps in the way, but how do you deal with those bumps and let those bumps uh, be the ways that you grow into a more thriving life? Um, in April, we'll come out uh, the book uh, about the immutable law of living and the immutable laws of living are uh, how we make life easier for ourselves by not getting in our own way but that's that will be in a few more months it comes out as a uh, ebook in january so exciting and thanks for being so prolific because you help so many people (laughs) well thank you my guest today has been Dr. Lee Bakum of SaveTheMarriage.com. By all means, go over there and learn. He has gold for you, and he has saved so many marriages. So uh, come back and visit us another time, Lee. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks.